Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? It's Friday! The famous Joe Armacost Friday intro. A little road show for me. I'm up in the Trump International Hotel in D.C., which, uh, listen, I get it. I'm not like an unbiased observer here when it comes to... uh, the Trump, but what a place, man! Gosh, the service man. here is is ridiculous. I'm used to cool. staying in New York City hotels. I was telling Joe before the show, and uh, you know they're 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 small. They're all small. Even the expensive ones are like the size of your bathroom in your house. But uh, this place is amazing. So uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a road show today. Got a uh, important meeting today. Uh, I'd probably figure it out. I ran into one of our listeners in the hotel lobby. I think his name was Chris. Yesterday, mm-hmm. he's like, "Dude, what are you doing here?" So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that um, on Monday. Pretty cool stuff. But uh, I got a lot to get to with the deal last night. Uh, I also have something uh, I haven't addressed in a long time with the audience, Joe. The Joe Biden connection to this whole Spygate, Manafort, Russiagate collusion thing. Joe Biden, you notice Joe has managed to escape any scrutiny on this? No, no, that all ends now. We've hit this before, Joe and I. Yes, we have. To save you from having to dig through our entire library to find it. Now that Joe Biden's getting ready to announce his run for president, let's bring Joe Biden in the mix, too. Isn't this going to be special? <laughs> do not, do not miss this show today. All right. Today's show brought to you by buddies at GenuCell. What's your gift this Valentine's Day? How about taking 10 or 15 years off your appearance with the brand new GenuCell jawline treatment? No more turkey necks, Joe. Double chins or sagging jawlines. It works amazingly well. Just listen to Linda B. from Marina Del Rey. I love your jawline cream. It really works. I mean, I really see a difference. And people never believe my age. It works. And from now, through Valentine's Day, which was yesterday, but you still get the deal. The brand new GenuCell jawline treatment is yours free when you order GenuCell for bags and puffiness under the eyes. And for results in 12 hours, the GenuCell immediate effects is also free. Text the word young, like the opposite of old, to 77453, or go to GenuCell.com. Say goodbye to that double chin, bags under your eyes, or even those laugh lines and crow's feet, which are now gone. Guaranteed or your money back. My mother-in-law loves this stuff. It really works, folks. It's really good. Text young to 77453 or go to GenuCell.com. Order now and get the GenuCell XV Collagen Builder and free express shipping. Uh, This is the final week for this special. Text young to 77453 or go to GenuCell.com. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, genucel.com. This is really terrific stuff. All right, first, the Porter deal last night. Ding, ding, ding. I like that. We need to incorporate that more. Let's go through it this way uh, because we've given you now three, four days of commentary on it. You're going to see it all day on the news, and I don't want to waste your time. So I want to break it down very simply this way. Let's do, uh, rather than the old movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which Joe is very Mm -hmm. familiar with, uh, let's go from The Ugly, The Bad, and The Good of The Deal. Um, listen, it's a bad deal, okay? I said that last night on Hannity's show. Hannity said it. Trump said it. Everybody knows that. People are emailing me like crazy. Dan, it's a bad deal. Yes. Joe, I, I, I don't know what... I, folks, I, I can't respond to all... Yes, you are correct. Let me just... Be, can I do yeah. a blanket reply all to everybody who emailed me how bad this deal is? You are right. Let me give yep. that a second to sink in. You're, you're never supposed to have silence on the radio. Let's give it three count. <laughs> You're all correct. <laughs> Am I making this clear? It is a bad deal. <laughs> it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. Yes. My only point to you in return 
is given the advantage, the significant advantage politically and tactically the Democrats have in the House, given that they run the House, what are the other options? I've given you them. The other options are to fight in the sequester when it comes to December. Mm -hmm. And the options are an emergency declaration, which I don't like. I've been candid about. But it appears Trump is going to go. with. So let's start with the ugly first. Here's the ugly part of this that I really think is going to be very troublesome. I discussed this last night on the Hannity show. Ladies and gentlemen, Section 224 of the deal is deeply disturbing. Section 224 of this budget deal last night appears to be some form of a backdoor amnesty. What does it do? I'll read to you the portions that matter here. Section 224. Then I'll translate it for you, Joe. None of the funds provided by this act, in other words, the budget deal last night, or provided by any accounts in the Treasury of the U.S. derived by the collection of fees, may be used by the Secretary of Homeland Security to place in detention, remove, or refer or, or initiate removal proceedings against a sponsor, potential sponsor, or member of a household of a sponsor or potential sponsor of an unaccompanied alien child. Okay, let me translate that from, you know, appropriator ease and government ease into what that Please means in do. common sense terms. Yeah. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is if you come across the border with an unaccompanied child and claim to be that person's sponsor, which has a very loose definition in this, that no funds can be spent to deport, remove, or even refer you for removal. That's a big, big thumbs down in this. It is unquestionably a poison pill. The Democrats threw that in there. Hmm. Um, I think, though, they're, they're now it's ugly. Listen, I just put it in there. We're doing it in reverse. The ugly, the bad, and the good. Not the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the ugliest portion of the whole thing. Now, the Trump administration and some DHS officials are stating, uh, and I'm getting this from some folks, some pretty solid sources on this, that the DHS is very clear on this, that this sponsor thing is not going to be some open-ended way, basically, Joe, to say, grab a kid and say, hey, come with me to the border. I'm going to claim your sponsor. And now we get, you know, we have an amnesty. Now, um, you know, is that going to get tied up in court too? Probably, but it's bad. It's ugly. Um, I don't agree with it. It should have been stripped out. But this is the bag of garbage the the uh, the swamp gave Trump. This is not, this is the this is the deal the Republicans and the Congress agreed to. It's not Trump's deal. You may say, well, well, then just don't sign it. Okay, well, what's what do we do then? The, the, the Repub- he has no. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen? Let me hold off on that because that's going to be the good. Let me, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let's just leave it at this. Section right. 224 of the bill creates an avenue to basically bring an unaccompanied kid with you. Say, hey, I'm a sponsor and you can't be deported. Okay. Pack up the babies and grab the old ladies and everyone goes. Yes. Yeah. exactly. Very good. There never has been more an appropriate time for that song. Yes. That's exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to mm. create incentive to trek uh, kids through this very dangerous journey across the desert to our border. So that's the ugliest portion of it. Here's the bad portion of it. Mm. Again, that that's the worst, the ugly part. But the bad portion of it is uh, there's also a stipulation that you have to consult with local officials before you build a border wall in any specific area. Excuse me, had to drink some coffee there. Now, these road shows are always a little different. What is, of course, what's that going to do? That's going to tie up in either some form of litigation or bureaucratic morass, the construction of walls in areas where politicians who don't like Donald Trump are going to use it as some kind of a cudgel uh, to say, look, I'm going to fight this wall and the and the budget deal opens up for consultation. My avenue to talk about it first. And I'm going to tell them no wall, not here at no time at all. And Trump can go pound sand. Bad, bad stuff. 
also bad. The fact that it's only $1.375 billion, which is way short of the $5.7 billion Trump needs to construct that uh, that 230 plus miles of border wall that he needs to secure uh, the areas that the border uh, security experts have told him he needs to secure to make the border adequate, uh, the safety somewhat adequate. Okay, the good. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to sound hyperbolic or ridiculous here, uh, uh, but I don't know any other easy way to say it and sum it up. Trump is all you have left. He is. He's all you have left. He, you know, You know, I've tried to be an impartial observer of this. And listen, I know it, it's true because I get nasty grams from really, really pro-Trump people and moderate Republicans who like the show. They like the economic stuff who object sometimes when they think, uh, you know, they think I'm going overboard for Trump. I don't I don't think I am. But I like I said, I give my email out for for you all to, you know, for you all to read. It's info at Bongino.com. Send it to us. We read it. We, we listen to it all. Having said that, I mean this. Trump is all you have right now. He's been clear. How many politicians do you know at that level? The president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, they, that signs a deal he acknowledges two days ago is terrible. You may say, what does that mean? He's weak. No, it, who does that? Everybody gives you the focus group tested talking points about, oh, this is not a, this is a wonderful deal. And this is, that's, he's, he's telling you straight out. In other words, he's acknowledging to you that the bag of horse manure that the Republican rhinos in Congress and the swamp rat Democrats in Congress sent him is a terrible deal. There are some good Republicans left, but very few. Folks, the good part of this is it's going to avoid what's going to be an unquestioned political disaster if this this continues. There, it, there's no, he doesn't have leverage right now. I don't know why, I, I, I don't know an easier way to get this out. He doesn't have leverage. You can, what do you do? I mean, when, when you look at a, a war scenario, right? Look at some kind of a combat scenario. I'm trying to think of when we used to do, uh, Maybe you'll say use of force scenario. I don't like war because war is a unique stain on humankind. But uh, when you look at, a, say, a use of force scenario, and we used to do AOP as assault on principle in the Secret Service. There were times in the Secret Service we would harden up, right? In other words, we would pick a pre-designated hard room for our protectee. No right. windows, cinder block walls. And we would reinforce that room and we would fight to the death at that room. There are other times we would have an escape route. And we would take the escape route, which we would clearly mark. There are scenarios that dictate hardening up, and there are the scenarios that dictate you flee and live to fight another day. Folks, there is no leverage for him right now. I don't know any, I'm not going to lie to you to, let's just uh, don't screw it and give him up. There's, there is no leverage. He has, do you understand he's all you have? That's how I opened up the good part of it. You may say, what's good about this? Because there is another fight here. The fight's not over. Everybody's like ready to throw in the towel. Oh, it's already capitulated. It's done. Capitulated? We just got a report today that medical, um, Joe, uh, healthcare mm-hmm. costs are rising at the lowest rate they've risen in, in, in years now due to yeah. Trump's uh, uh, ridding of the individual mandate and the expansion of plans outside of Obamacare. We just found out prescription drug costs are rising at the lowest rate. The economy added 304,000 jobs last month. Even though he took a massive political beating on the House side in the midterms, Mm -hmm. we still have the Senate and there are elections coming up. And this bill, however sucky it is, and believe me, the suck level is high on this, it only lasts till December 
and there is some border construction money, and he's all you have. He doesn't have warriors right now on the Republican side outside of very few principal people, the Mike Lees uh, of the world. Uh, you know, I like Massey on the House side. These guys, out of outside of these guys who are actually willing to stand on principle, there are very few guys up there in the Congress. You know, maybe you got the Jim Jordans and others, the good guys, Mark Meadows, who are willing to do anything about this. What do you want him to do? He has no leverage. I'm genuinely curious. I'm not saying this to be. I don't like to insult my audience. It's not like, oh, you guys know better. You guys are. I don't. I don't. You guys are. You guys and ladies are very smart. Your emails are great. I'm just asking you, what do you want him to do? He's in an executive position, the most powerful executive position in the world. They lost a midterm election. They cannot get a budget bill with everything they want through the House. They can't. They simply do not have the votes. If he had a Republican, a coalesced Republican group behind him that would be willing to stand fast in the event of a government shutdown, I would say, all right, let's at least test the waters again on this and shut this down. Okay, he doesn't have that. What am I trying to tell you, folks? If the government shuts down again, the Republicans in the Congress and the House are going to override his veto and sign an even worse bill than they have now. Think about how that looks. You think this is some kind of a loss? Wait till you see that loss later. This guy's all you have right now. The president. He's all you got. He's not putting lipstick on this. He's not out there trying to gloss. Ah, this is the greatest thing ever. He's been acknowledged this is a crap bill. Sean Hannity, you know, friend of mine, friend of the president's as well, was on TV last night. And the same hit I was on, Joe. I was on the same show. He said, we both said the same thing. I called it a steaming pile of horse crap. He called it a terrible bad bill. Well put. Very, very eloquent. I, I don't know what other way to say it. The only good news here is Trump understands it and he understands the political tactics here are sometimes you harden up and sometimes you have to get out of Dodge and live to fight another day. He has no strategic tactical path out of here. I know that bothers you. I admire the fact that my the, my listeners and his supporters are so passionate, but don't give up on the guy now, folks. We've still got the December fight. We've still got the economy booming. We finally got the control on some health care costs. And we've got the chance in December through the sequester to make significant cuts in government spending. One more thing on this and I'll move on because there'll be a, not a lot of analysis today and I've got a lot to get to. There is no question that Trump has the power to declare this national emergency he's declaring actually right now as we speak. There's no question. The 1976 National Emergencies Act, he can declare a national emergency. That will not be fought in court. Are we clear on that? Just because this is bifurcated. And I have a piece up. I'm not a huge fan of roll call, uh, but they have a very, very well done piece. I have in the show notes today at Bongino.com. And again, subscribe to my email list. I'll email this stuff right to you. It's a very good article. About a thousand words. Take you about maybe seven, eight minutes to get through. But it's very well done and it's not overly partisan about where this is going to go in the courts now that Trump's going to declare a national emergency for the border, uh, border funding. His ability to declare the national emergency will not be challenged. Bill Clinton declared 17 of them. George W. Bush, I think it was like five or six. Obama, you know, uh, declared uh, multiple national emergencies. It's bifurcated. That part's fine. The second part of it is the money, the moving the money around to finance the construction of the wall, Joe, under the national emergency. That's where we're going to have a problem 
because the president is not an appropriator. That's why I'm not crazy about this. It has a strong potential to get tied up in court, but they have left the president with no other options. And remember, this only lasts until December. Having said that, if he gets started on the 1.375 as a, you know, quote, down payment on the wall and gets that wall moving, Joe, I said last night on the Hannity show, and I'll say again, how bad mm-hmm. do you think it's going to look optically speaking? Remember, snapshots and sound bites, folks. That's all politics is. Our pictures and sound bites. That's projection of power is getting the best pictures and the best sound bites you can get. How do you think it's going to look in court right through the election season, Joe, as presidential mm-hmm. candidates are declaring? The Democrats in court fighting the construction of a wall that's already being built as caravans keep coming in. Not going to look good. Now, again, is this some big victory yesterday? No. The ugly and the bad parts of this deal far outweigh the even minor goods we have. The minor good, again, a little bit of construction here. The Democrats have now put themselves firmly on the side of open borders. And now we've got people on the record. Listen, Trump is all we have left. I'm just asking you not to bail on this guy now, folks. It's the right fight. He is all you have left. He understands this is a terrible deal. It's not a mystery. Okay, I want to move on. So there it goes. All right, now before we get to that, let's. Um, this is one of my favorite companies. Glad to have them on board. Hey, if you guys ever shot the, a Bravo Company rifle, they are amazing. Uh, really, one of the finest constructed rifles I've ever... They sent me uh, a couple, and they... I mean, I can't say enough about them. Smooth, on target, easy to fire, well made. I mean, a beautiful looking piece of machinery. Uh, listen, I'm a I'm a gun owner, and you know, owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility. You all know that building rifles is no different. A Bravo Company Manufacturing was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago. They build a professional grade product built to combat standards. This is because BCM or Bravo Company Manufacturing believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they are a private citizen or a professional. Listen, this isn't a sporting arms company, Bravo Company Manufacturing. They design, engineer, manufacture life-saving equipment. You know what? I'm going to scrap the rest of this. I'm going to go my own way for a second. I hope Bravo Company doesn't mind. Because I went in to pick, you know, to, to get a, a, a firearm transfer from state to state. You have to go from an FFL to an FFL. Right. So I go to a place in, in uh, Jensen Beach where I live. That's where I, pick, uh, that's where I buy my firearms. And I had it transferred there. And I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. My, one of my buddies in there. I go in there to pick it up. They had sent me two of them, a rifle and a pistol. And I kid you not, he comes out. He goes, hey, what are you picking up? I said, I have a couple of Bravo company. He goes, oh, we've been checking those out in the back. He goes, these things are incredible. And folks, to to be candid, I had heard of Bravo company, but I hadn't done really a lot of research on before they picked them up as a sponsor. He's like, dude, these are really, really terrific rifles. He goes, you got yourself a real winner here. That's a true story. I'm not making it up. And the guy listens to my show, so he knows I'm not making this up. They put people before products. They feel it's their moral responsibility, Bravo Company, provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper, paper target. To learn more about Bravo Company manufacturing, head over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Check out their YouTube channel at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Bravo Company manufacturing. They're great. Okay. So uh, yesterday, another hilarious meltdown on the far left, and and by hilarious, I I mean tragically hilarious. I I don't I mean that it's one of those like 
sad clown hilarious things. You know the sad clown, Joe? It's not like the clown at the, the four-year-old's four birthday party uh, who's having a good time and everybody's laughing and all the kids are watching him do his thing and, and make the balloons. This is like the sad uh, sad clown. You're all like, you feel bad for him. So Amazon pulled out of New York yesterday. They were going to put a second headquarters up in New York in an area I know well near Long Island City. Mm-hmm. It was estimated to bring anywhere from probably twenty to 30,000 jobs, possibly more, into New York City. And it was going to be about a $5 billion investment. Listen, uh, am I a big fan of taxpayer uh, subsidies? No, I wish every state uh, would would just level the playing field and have a low-tax environment, not just to offer carve-outs for specific companies. Having said that, though, the question about Amazon and its role in New York, that it was going to be some kind of a net positive, was 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 an easy one. Um to, to bring five billion in investment and twenty five to thirty thousand jobs to an area, there's no question. Even the externalities themselves would probably pay for these uh, these carve outs in the tax code, which again I don't agree with. But this was a net good. Seventy percent of New Yorkers approved of this deal. So Amazon, uh, in response to some comments by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and to, yeah, to some union pressure. I'm glad we're not on video today for yeah. that one. After. Um, so Joe, Joe's having a pretty negative response to this too. Amazon decided to pull out. Apparently, I'm getting from some uh, a friend of mine. Uh, who, you know who you are, who sends me information on what happens in uh, the workplace all the time. As a hint, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, he's very familiar with this stuff. Said that the real story behind Amazon pulling their headquarters project out of New York was pressure to unionize Amazon from union interests, who were stunned that Amazon pulled out joe in other words they thought this was a done deal they were going to come in come to the table force amazon to unionize pressure them over time and then amazon once they built the place or committed to it would be forced to stay they were uh-huh. shocked when amazon came in and basically gave them the double barrel middle finger and said okay we're out see you later that's what i'm hearing that hmm. it was re- it was aoc had a little bit to do with it but it really wasn't all her it was a union stuff and a lot of you're trying to push them into unions now, having said that, ladies and gentlemen, I got emails yesterday uh, and texts from friends of mine who were in unions in New York. Remember, I grew up in New York. I grew up in Queens. I spent most of my adult life there before I moved to Maryland and Florida. I still have a lot of friends who are, you know, local three, who are carpenters, steam fitters, tin knockers, you know, bricklayers, uh, you name it, uh, all the way up and down the line, plumbers, and they are furious furious now is donald trump going to win the state of new york in the next election because of this nah uh, listen let's not be ridiculous it's uh that's that's probably uh uh it's probably a difficult road to hoe right there given the population of new york is lurched far left having said that though it's decisions like this that get middle class union workers even non-union workers who are laborers get them on the record now I, i don't care what the top levels of the union brass are telling you the guys on the ground doing the jobs. There are two groups of people that are furious. The laborers. I got text yesterday. You know what? I'm going to read to you one. This is not a joke. This is an actual text. I'm not going to tell you who it's from, obviously. But this is a text. Yeah, this is real. Yesterday, 5.36 p.m. Eastern time. Text comes in. This is one of like 20 I got. Can you believe these moron Dems killed the Amazon deal? Lost a ton of construction jobs. So I wrote back, idiots, they cost the city billions. He writes back, unbelievable, in capital letters. I'm so pissed. Folks, that was one of many. Um, So again, for 2020, 
I know the deal yesterday wasn't great. This is not a great day in the Trump presidency. He understands it. But ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you harden up. You take the president under attack into the hard room and you defend that hard room to the death because your avenues out have been closed off. Sometimes you head to the motorcade and you live to fight another day. I don't know any other way to tell you that. Yeah, the new rules are we win, you lose. That are, that are the, those are the new rules. But the new rules are not engaged in a nihilistic, self-destructive political exercise that will result in massive electoral losses in 2020 and the rapid demise of the republic. That's not the way you fight these fights. His avenues here to harden up to get to the hard room have been closed off because he doesn't have a Secret Service protective political team around him that has his back. He just doesn't. Most of the Republicans up on the Hill, on the Congress and the Senate side, are ready to stick it to Trump and override his veto of a budget bill and pass the worst deal humanly possible. This Amazon thing is another black eye for them. Now let's get the Democrats on the record for open borders. Let's get them on the record with this awful deal. Let's not try to cover up what it is. Trump should come out and do it his press conference what he's doing that you know call call it what it is it's a terrible deal it's the it's the deal that Democrats want for America because they don't want it for America this is a self-destructive party you can't play chicken with a with a suicidal political party call them out for what they are but this AOC thing in Amazon uh you know I think it's going to really ding her up as well I think uh the fact that she was celebrating the loss of all these jobs yesterday is ridiculous now Hat tip to the listener who sent me this. Thank you very much. You know who you are. Yesterday, I had mentioned in in light of Ocasio-Cortez and now the Democrat Party celebrating the loss of jobs and the investment of capital in New York City. Yesterday, I had cited. Yeah, you can get say hello, babe. Say, this is my little daughter. She's in the room. Say hello to the audience. Hi. What are you doing here in, in, in Washington? I'm going to see Donald Trump. <laughs> my daughter. She's in the hotel room with me. Do you hear that? Yeah. She, she talks really low. She's the best. I love my girl. But a hat tip to the listener. Yesterday, I had I'd cited this Milton Friedman thing. We're talking about Amazon, the investment. And just to be clear, we're going with this so you don't think I'm you know, segueing into some unrelated topic. Milton Friedman, the great economist, uh, God rest the man's soul, one, a, a man of capitalism and freedom is one of the greatest books you can ever read by Milton Friedman. It's hard to be a conservative without reading that book. It's that good. Friedman was great at debating. He was him and Thomas Sowell would just annihilate liberals at every opportunity. Now, this is uh, from either the early 80s or the 70s. Speaking about there are a couple different things. Friedman won on the Phil Donahue show. Phil Donahue was a noted liberal. And in light of what happened with Amazon and liberals confusion about basic economics, capital investment and jobs. This is Phil Donahue asking Milton Friedman about greed, the same thing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is accusing Amazon of corporate greed. Play that cut. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, don't, aren't you ever, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism? And whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. (laughs) 
This, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worth, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise system. But it seems to reward, not virtue, as much as ability to manipulate the system. Uh, and what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? Do they choose their appointees on the basis of the virtue of the people appointed or on the basis of their political clout? Is it really true that political self-interest is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me where in the world you find these angels who are going to organize society for us. Well, I don't even trust you to do that. <laughs> that is... One of the greatest clips. I We've played it before probably two years ago plus. Yeah. Uh, but, folks, I know it's long. Joe has a general policy of trying not to run clips more than a minute, minute and a half. But that's worth it. That is worth every second of it. Two quickies from there. Uh, first, greed. What society is run on greed? What person is not born with an inherent sense of greed? Uh, I mean, you talk about the seven deadly sins, you know, gluttony, <laughs> all these, they're, they're, they're all bedrocked in this human greed. And, mm -hmm. and and secondly, at the end, he references, you know, maybe Federalist 51, if men were angels, right? We're not angels. We are naturally, uh, sadly, you know, we're, we're sinners. We're all sinners. And when you give people power, it, it tends to magnify our worst assets. What capitalism does rather than socialism is it puts an emergency break on the worst instincts of human beings. You have a legal system where you can sue. And secondly, if you don't like a product, you are not, in fact, forced to buy it, which has forced many, quote, greedy companies out of business <laughs> over the years yeah. who tried at the expense of a long-term business plan to maximize profit in the short term and were rapidly put out of business. Virtue. And then he brings up the fact that, oh, you think politicians reward virtue? Like, what kind of an idiot was this guy, Donnie? <laughs> like, virtue. Oh. You, you think we should reward <laughs> virtue? Like, the, and he goes, you think the Soviet communists rewarded virtue? Like, are you an imbecile? They, 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 they killed hundreds of millions of people between China and the Soviet Union. Okay, one more clip from Friedman. Because this relates specifically to the Amazon debacle in New York, pulling their headquarters out, and Ocasio-Cortez ridiculously celebrating this epic disaster in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, capital matters. Money matters. Factories matter. The investment in factories via money and wealthy people who have that money matters. But this lady who then goes on to question Milton Friedman in this segment seems to be confused and she equates somehow income inequality 
income inequality with capitalism. And Friedman has to set her straight. Play that cut. Why is it we have so many millionaires and everything in the United States, and we still have so many impoverished people who try to get up into the world? Why is it we have this lack of money where people who can't support themselves decently and get a decent job where all these big men are up on top making oodles and oodles of money? They don't need it. They can only eat that much, eat in a sleep And what do you suppose bed. they do it? If they don't eat it and don't, sli- uh, don't use it, what do you suppose they, they do They hoard it. They and what hoard do you mean they hoard it? You mean they put it under their pillows? That's right. No. They, they keep investing it. Investing it in That's what? That's right. Yeah. What are they invested in? Well, in oil and everything, where, I mean, all these other people. Who are what are they invested in? Don't get off the subject. <laughs> no. What are they invested in? Well, they invested in a lot of uh, different things that the little people need. Well, do they invest it in factories? Yes. Does some of that money end up in machines? Yes. Do those factories and machines provide ordinary working people with jobs or not? What do you suppose the productivity of this country would be and of the, uh, the wage rate would be if the total amount of capital in this country today was what it was 100 years ago? Where do you suppose the improvements in productivity come from except from the, re- the investment by people of their savings? But let me go to your fundamental question. First place... Nirvana is not for this world. There is no paradise. Of course, we've got a lot of people who are poorly off. But if you look at it over time, if you get a sense of proportion, the well-being of ordinary people has been the main thing that has been improved by economic progress and economic growth and development. And residual, most residual hard cases of poverty today are the result, again, of a failure of government. Why do we have a teenage, black teenage unemployment rate in 30 to 40 percent? Because of two failures of government. One, a failure to provide decent schooling, which is a governmental responsibility. Has been, whether it should be or not, it has been. And second, because of a minimum wage rate, which prevents those kids who haven't had decent schooling from getting jobs at low pay, at which they can earn the skills on the jobs that would enable them to rise to higher pay. If you look at the sources of poverty, you will find a very lo- most of them are derived from bad, what I regard as wrong-headed government policies. So, two takeaways from that. And again, just utter brilliance by Friedman. One of the, uh, a, a guy I, uh, I mean, I can't, it, it, there's not enough accolades out there. But two takeaways from that. Number one. There's always going to be income inequality. There is no paradise, as he adequately states. Accurately states, excuse me. There's no paradise. There's always going to be people who are less, relatively speaking, less well-off than people who are wealthy or even middle class. Always, no matter what, in any society. Because there's no perfect way to organize society to equally distribute assets without creating incentives for others not to produce those assets as you take them away to redistribute them. But the point he tries to make is that even though there are going to be people always who are less well off than others, the people who are less well off in economically free countries are far better off than people who are at even the highest levels of the income structure in socialist countries. In other words, our poor are richer than socialist countries wealthy. Now, if you look at the piece I wrote at FoxNews.com in yesterday's show notes, Matt Palumbo even put some data in there to back that up. The poorest states in our union are richer than some of the middle class. The the poorest states in our union, the average incomes in those poorest states are higher 
than some of the wealthier enclaves in European countries, some of the wealthiest European countries. So mm-hmm. capitalism produces so much wealth that, yes, there are people, relatively speaking, who are going to be poorer than others, but those poor are still better off than people in, in, in socialist countries who are largely starving to death. So he brings up that point. But he also brings up another point about capital, how capital and the, the, the accumulation of savings through successful enterprise is not flushed down the toilet. The lady says, well, they hoard it. And he, and, and he goes, well, what do you mean they hoard it? They put it under their pillows? She goes, no, they, they, put, they invest it, meaning they like put it in banks. And, and what happens with it in banks? Well, then other people use it to start their own businesses and get rich themselves. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, is this complicated? And the answer is, of course it isn't. That's what happens with the typical flow of capital. One more point. Let me add a third point. In this. He, she says that he brings up another accurate statement there that when you look at the pockets of hard poverty in the United States, do you find it oddly coincidental that those pockets of hard poverty, Joe, are strictly isolated areas, almost exclusively controlled by big government policies? Notice right. I didn't say Democrat policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said big government policies. William McGurn wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal a long time ago. We used to cite often. It was right after the riots in Baltimore City, after the Freddie Gray incident. McGurn wrote this piece comparing Martin County, Kentucky, uh, and Baltimore City. Martin County, Kentucky is a county that largely voted for Mitt Romney in the presidential election. Baltimore City voted overwhelmingly for Barack Obama. They are both pockets of hard poverty in the United States. McGurn says, you know what I find oddly coincidental about these two places? They are both dominated by extreme government intervention in the economy, social entitlement programs, minimum wage programs, uh, welfare programs, which incentivize people not to work after a certain day, people who are able-bodied and willing. These are two places that are struggling right now due to big government policy. This was McGurn. You know, I don't have the piece uh, still around, but it was a really good piece. Maybe I'll try to find it, stick it in the show notes today. But it is big government that creates those hard pockets of poverty. But the woman didn't understand that. She seemed to think that it was capitalism that was creating these hard pockets of poverty. That is entirely, entirely inaccurate. Okay, those are worth addressing today after the Amazon deal. I, I like to keep my money in my socks. And it was like you, Saul. I know Saul does. Saul does. <laughs> Joe, Joe, of course, uh, going back to the jerky boys there. <laughs> if you grew up in New York, you knew about the jerky boys. They yeah. live not too far from me, those guys. They were pretty that, funny with yeah. phone calls. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at Helix Sleep. Hey, there's nobody on the planet like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep has a sleep quiz. I took this. It only takes about two minutes to complete. And they use your answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. If you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper like me, you like a plush or a firm bed. With Helix, there's no more guessing or confusion. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Dan. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. We have one of these in my daughter's room, Amelia, the one you just heard. Mimi, how do you like your mattress? Good. <laughs> my wife loves it so much she falls asleep in there sometimes it's that good for couples helix can even split the mattress down the middle providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side you're not going to get a better mattress for the money folks i'm telling you right now they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free right now helix is offering up to 200 dollars off mattress orders for the president's day sale get up to 200 get up to 200 dollars off at helixsleep.com slash dan the president's day sale 200 dollars off helix sleep dot com slash dan that's helix sleep dot com slash dan for two hundred dollars off your mattress for their president's day sale going on right now helix sleep dot com slash dan go check them out all right let's get to the down and dirty on joey b and i'm not talking about my brother joe biden. Talking- <laughs> joe biden 
how has this guy managed to escape any type of scrutiny in the Russiagate Spygate scandal? Now, he has it with us, but we mentioned this a while ago, and it's time to bring it up again now because Joe Biden, uh, if as you've probably heard, is considering throwing his name into the presidential campaign sweepstakes uh, because he wants to be elected the next president. Mm. So let's get to Joe Biden. Now, for those of you who read my book, Spygate, uh, where I cover this, please pick it up if you haven't. We're, uh, we had another good week of sales. I guess the word of mouth is starting to spread. We actually, Joe, after, what is it, three, four months or something in release, yeah. we had our second best week ever in sales last week. Do you know that? All right. That's cool. Yeah, the book is really going crazy, so we appreciate yeah. that. But we cover this a bit in the book with Biden, and he's got some connection here to this scheme. Let me read to you a headline first from the Washington Post and kind of tease where we're going with this. Biden arrives in Ukraine to show U.S. support as crisis with Russia continues. April 21st, 2014. So just to be clear, Joe Biden takes a trip to Ukraine to discuss U.S. support as Ukraine's crisis with the with the Russians was going on. You know, the Crimea, the invasion, we had all that stuff going on, which you, you, you're all aware of. What else happens in April of 2014? Now, I bring this up, Joe, because the... You know, the Republicans are always confu- uh, are always uh, are always accused of having, uh, especially Trump, suspicious connections with the Russians. What about these suspicious connections? In April 2014, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, joins the board of a company called Burisma. So let's just be clear. Biden takes trip to Ukraine, April 2014. A Ukrainian gas company, Burisma, Joe Biden's son, probably for a very nice salary, Hunter, gets a spot on Burisma's board. Now, the owner of this board, the owner of this company, Burisma, where Hunter Biden's son is appointed, conveniently right around the time he takes a trip to the Ukraine. But let's not worry about those connections. Let's just worry about the fact that uh, through someone, through someone, through someone, a Republican once uh, had a, had a uh, shot of Russian vodka. The owner of the company, Mikola Zlo- Zlochevsky, I always say these names wrong, Zlochevsky, so, uh, forgive me if I'm saying uh, his name wrong, uh, the uh, owner uh, of Burisma. Has a very strange connection himself, Joe. So the owner of this company that hires Hunter Biden, a Ukrainian company, right around the time Biden goes to Ukraine, he's pretty well connected to Viktor Yanukovych, the Ukrainian, uh, the head of the Ukrainian government, who, by the way, was is being investigated, uh, was, was excuse me, Manafort was being investigated, Trump's former campaign right. manager, for his connections to some lobbying efforts done on behalf of Yanukovych. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy Zlochevsky is a comrade, let's say, of Yanukovych. He was one of his government ministers. This is the guy who owns the company that hires the vice president's kid after he takes a trip over there. So let me be, let's be straight on this now. Let's be crystal clear about what's going on. Because again, it's the connections. They say they have no direct evidence against Donald Trump for his collusion with the Russians, but they always seem to insinuate, Joe, that it's circumstantial stuff. Why does that is why is that the only circumstances that matter? Why don't circumstances that reflect poorly on the Democrats? Why are they almost never brought up? Why are they never probed and probed and probed? And why isn't a collusion scandal being alleged here? Well, because they're Democrats. Yanukovych is the guy Manafort was lobbying for, this pro-Russian Ukrainian uh, government, the head of government in Ukraine, who Manafort was lobbying with and with the Podesta group as well. Manafort was locked up and is being charged for failure to register as a foreign agent. But keep in mind, 
One of this guy's buddies, the same guy Manafort's lobbying for, that he's being charged for, this guy's Lochevsky, manages to hire Joe Biden's kid right, right during the time Biden takes his trip to Ukraine. Now, here's what's even more suspicious about this, folks. So follow me here. All right. Biden goes to Ukraine. Biden's son, Hunter, gets hired, Ukrainian, uh, a Ukrainian gas company. He gets hired for a nice position on the board. The guy who owns the company was a minister for this head of the Ukraine government that's being investigated for connections to Manafort, or Manafort's being connect, uh, investigated for connections to him. What happens right after this? Zlochevsky's Burisma and Atlanta and the Atlantic Council sign a cooperative agreement. This is a headline from Burisma Group published January 19, 2017. The largest gas producer in Ukraine, Burisma, forges relationship with the new U.S. administration. The Atlantic Council of the United States and the Burisma Group <laughs> have signed a cooperative agreement. You think they're trying to make good? You think they sense something's wrong? <laughs> what does that tell you, folks? They are t- Now, follow me. Zlochevsky hires Biden's kid right after this trip, and right during the time uh, Biden takes Joe Biden takes his trip to Ukraine. Zlochevsky has this uh, natural gas group in Ukraine. Zlochevsky's group conveniently signs this cooperative agreement with the Atlantic Council. Why does the Atlantic Council ring a bell, folks? Think, think this through. The Atlantic Council, the chief technology officer, officer Dmitry uh, Dmitry Alperovich. These were people, uh, excuse me, uh, the chief technology officer for the CrowdStrike, Dmitry Alperovich, sits on the Atlantic Council. CrowdStrike was the company that looked at the DNC servers and indicated that it was a Russian hack that did it. Folks, again, I'm making connections for you that the liberal media and others won't make. Now, is there any direct evidence that there was a quid pro quo in here? Not yet. But if we're going to play fair is fair, we're going to play by the same set of principle rules with an unbiased referee, and the referee is saying that suspicious meetings and contacts with the Russians should matter, then why doesn't specific meetings and connections with foreign officials in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, excuse me, why doesn't, why aren't, why do none of those connections matter? The answer is because they're Democrats and it's a protected class. Now this gets better. Biden goes to Ukraine. Biden's son gets a, gets a board seat on a Ukrainian gas company. The head of the Ukrainian gas company is a uh, is was a is a friend of a former head of government in Ukraine that was working with Manafort. Manafort gets charged. Biden seems to have gotten a pass. Hunter Biden seems to get a pass. This same gas company that it, the Biden's kid is working for then signs in a cooperation agreement with the Atlantic Council. Sitting on the Atlantic Council is one of the guys who runs the company that analyzed the DNC servers and said it was the Russians that did it. All very suspicious connections. These people all appear to know each other. It gets even better, folks. Chuck Ross piece in the Daily Caller. Nellie Orr, Nellie Orr, this is recent, told Nellie Orr, Bruce Orr's wife. Bruce Orr is a DOJ official. Nellie Orr is his wife working for Fusion GPS. Nellie Orr told lawmakers in October that one of Fusion GPS's sources was a Ukrainian parliamentarian, Sergei Lashenko, whose government had accused him of illegally meddling in the 2016 election. Folks, this Ukraine connection is deep. Uh, it's in my book. It's, it's very detailed. It's footnoted extensively in my book. The Ukrainians clearly had an interest, some, in making sure that Donald Trump was not elected president. 
The Ukrainians uh, were working with Alexandra Chalupa, a former DNC official, to get negative information out through the press, through people like Isakoff and others, to get uh, to get negative information out into the press about Donald Trump. Read the book. It's documented extensively. The Ukrainians did not want Donald Trump elected. But again, foreign collusion, Joe, doesn't matter when all the connections go to Democrats. So let me just sum this up because I want to cover another thing, too, before we're done with the show today. Let's divorce ourselves from the Russian collusion hoax for a minute. Let's talk about the Ukrainians. Biden takes a trip to Ukraine. A former head of government's buddy then hires Biden's kid to sit on a board of a gas company. That gas company later partners up after they find out that the Democrats lost the election with the Atlanta Council. On the Atlanta Council sit a number of former Obama administration officials. On the Atlanta Council sits Al Perovich, the CTO of CrowdStrike, the company that told everybody that the DNC, her servers, were hacked by the Russians. We then have the wife of a number four DOJ official, Bruce Orr, who's working with Fusion GPS and others to get the dossier into court. The wife admits that a Ukrainian lawmaker, Sergei Leshenko, was a leading force, quote, behind the release of the so-called Black Ledger, which accused Paul, which accused Paul Manafort of receiving illicit payments from the, United, uh, from the Ukrainian government. By the way, this Black Ledger has never been uh, verified at all. The ledger led to Manafort's firing from the Trump campaign, but its validity remains in dispute. Folks, one of the real scandals here is the Ukrainians' involvement in this. Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian officials like Lyshenko and others. That's the bell for the hotel room. The Ukrainian. That's another bell for the hotel room. There you go. We're ringing like crazy. <laughs> Ukrainian involvement through DNC officials. One of the real scandals here is their effort to get the Trump team dirtied up as much as possible while suppressing their connections to the Biden team. So here's the takeaway. and We'll move on. Some entrepreneurial reporter out there should be asking themselves immediately, how did Hunter Biden get that seat on Burisma, this Ukrainian gas company? How did he do that? And if the people connected with that company are connected with Yanukovych, who's considered uh, you know, a, 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 a dangerous person to be involved with, at least according to the Manafort indictment, why isn't Biden's connections there? Why aren't those being looked at? I think we know the reason, because Biden was Obama's vice president, is a protected class. Check that out, folks. Chew on them apples. Okay, um, I filled in for Mark Levin the other day, and this I'm going to wrap this up with this one. I got a lot of questions about this. Some of you uh, regular listeners already knew it, but some of you didn't. I covered Skolkovo, and some of you wanted me uh, to just readdress that quick. Uh, the Skolkovo project is another shady connection. And the only reason I'm bringing this up, again, is because the, with the Trump campaign, everything seems to be about connections, not evidence. But again, right. when you point out connections between Ukrainian involvement in the election and Biden, nobody seems to be interested. But what about Clinton's connections to the Russians herself and himself, Bill Clinton, too? Ladies and gentlemen, the Skolkovo project is an absolute disaster. It is all about Skolkovo. I keep saying that. Skolkovo was a Russian technology product in a technology corridor. They wanted to emulate Silicon Valley Uh, in the United States over in Russia. So what did they do? They instituted this technology corridor type project where they tried to attract U.S. tech companies over there. The problem with Skolkovo, according to our own intelligence officials, is that Skolkovo was being used as a front for Russian intel to steal our deepest, darkest technology secrets to use in dual application technologies and military technologies. The Russians wanted to steal our tech. They wanted to steal it to build weapons used to kill us. 
like the hypersonic missile. What's the problem with Skolkovo? It's not necessarily news, Joe, that the Russians have been trying to spy on us. What mm. is news is that they tried to take it right in front of our faces and under our noses with the help of U.S. officials who just anxiously filled in the void, patted them on the back and said, you guys, go get them. Hillary Clinton supported the Skolkovo project, a Russian technology theft project used to create military weapons. She spoke openly about it, ladies and gentlemen. She supported this thing. She advocated for it. Hillary Clinton, the head of the Skolkovo project, Victor Vexelberg, was a Clinton Foundation donor. Hillary Clinton, 10 of the 27 companies that signed on to Skolkovo were Clinton Foundation donors as well. Bill Clinton took a trip to Russia for $500,000 paid for by Renaissance Bank, a company deeply involved in the Uranium One deal. He took this $500,000 speaking fee. His team emails the State Department and tries to ask for permission for a meeting while Bill Clinton is over in Russia, a meeting with someone very, very interesting. That meeting is with Victor Vexelberg, again, the head of the Skolkovo project a project that our own Intel people have now acknowledged was an effort to steal our technology to build weapons against us by the Russians. They are covering this up, ladies and gentlemen. The Skolkovo project, is this is all out there. It is available on the internet for any entrepreneurial researcher to go out there and look at. Again, it's in the book, Skolkovo, Skolkovo, Skolkovo. So just to sum up this last section, we'll let you rock and roll for the weekend here. If connections to foreign officials are suspicious, why isn't anyone looking into how Hunter Biden got his job at Burisma? Conveniently, at the same time, his father was developing relationships with Ukrainians who later came back and targeted Donald Trump, using DNC officials to leak information about the Black Ledger, how Manafort was paid off and Manafort was working with Yanukovych. Well, Yanukovych's buddy hired Biden's kid. If Yanukovych was such a bad guy as they claim, listen, I'm not a fan of Yanukovych, but if Yanukovych is a bad guy, why is he only a bad guy when it comes to Manafort? What about Biden's kid? And secondly, the connections to Skolkovo were there for anyone to see. Check them out. Clinton wanted to meet with Vexelberg, the head of Skolkovo, Bill Clinton, while he was being paid by the Russians to be over in Russia. Vexelberg donates to the Clinton Foundation. He's running the Skolkovo project. You're telling me he doesn't know about Russian intel efforts to use that technology corridor to steal our stuff? The Clinton, Hillary Clinton, openly advocates for the Skolkovo project. Openly. Folks, you understand what they're hiding? They're hiding their involvement, not ours. It's their involvement with the Russians and the Ukrainians that has created a significant, significant problem from them. And the whole purpose of the Mueller probe appears to be today to scrap, bury, and sweep underneath the carpet the Democrats' deep, dirty, disgusting connections to foreign officials that unquestionably interfere in our election. Everybody knows the Ukrainians were deeply involved in our election. Everybody who's followed this case closely. And the connections go to the Democrats, not the Republicans. All right. Uh, one last thing I neglected to mention in the front. Forgive me. We were talking about the, the emergency declaration for the wall. I just want to take uh, what are you, let's take about a minute and just tell you where the money. Here's where the money's going to come from, according to the latest reports for the wall. So the 1.375, according to the bill uh, that looks like it's going to be signed today. Uh, the DHS looks like they can get $8 billion from this emergency declaration if the courts don't overthrow it. 
Uh, some of the money will come from the Treasury for- Forfeiture Fund, some from DOD counter-drug funds, and some from the MILCON budget, the military construction budget. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we should probably have some further additional announcements today. And, uh, you know, don't miss the show on Monday. Today's a big day uh, for me, so I'm really happy to be here up in D.C. And thanks for the sorry we're not going to have any video clips today. It's a road show. But uh, Joe, of course, will always put together a top-notch audio product. Uh, please subscribe to the show, folks. Uh, go to iTunes if you have an iPhone, your podcast app, and click the subscribe button if you don't mind. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's free. doesn't require any money, uh, but it does help drive us up the charts. It's the subscriptions that do that. And if you have an Android or not an iPhone, you can go to iHeartRadio, click the follow button, or you can follow us on SoundCloud as well. We really appreciate it, folks. Thanks a lot. Have a really wonderful weekend, and I'll talk to you all on Monday. Good day, sir. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.